0: Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, welcome back. It's Kelly and Company. Thank you wherever you're listening in. We appreciate having you on board for the program. Uh, we're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern with our roster of contributors and community reporters. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. So I remember being asked at one point, would I be interested in that surgery for the Argus II? And at that time, I had more vision than I do now. Um, mm-hmm. th- I think my answer would be the same. As much as, uh, you know, hats off to those that were willing to be part of that um, history making, you know, and experimental procedures and stuff like that. It wasn't for me at the time. I, I, I said, no, no, I think right now um, I definitely appreciate that people are moving the needle forward and hopefully we're on the edge of something really special in future um, as we, we think with everything. But uh yeah. What, what a hard decision. So I really, you know, to people, especially if you still had some of that usable vision in that eye mm-hmm. and you were giving, you know, willing to give it up for a chance that it uh, might do something. Folks, uh, this time every week we get into knowing our rights. We welcome in Danielle McLaughlin and Danielle, wonderful topic because something we need to discuss. And you've got some great information, i.e. your guest. We'll let you uh, do the honors, please.
1: Well, thank you. I'm uh, extremely pleased that we have a special guest today. Kat Owens is a lawyer and the project director for LEAF's Reproductive Justice Project. Uh, LEAF intervened, which means they weren't um, on one side or the other, but providing very important uh, information to the court, to the Supreme Court of Canada, in a case which focused on the sentencing of Indigenous people who've been convicted of certain criminal offences. Welcome to Kelly and Company, Kat.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: oh it's a real pleasure um, we amongst us have been talking about how do we speak about the Sharma case because it's a very complicated uh, story mm-hmm. and I was so grateful that 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 uh, you were a bit available to join us. Could you give us a bit of background on leaf who you know what is the organization and on the Sharma case in particular? What are the important facts we should know?
2: Absolutely. So LEAF uh, is short for the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, and we're a national nonprofit organization. So we use legal cases, uh, law reform advocacy, and public education to try and advance substantive gender equality, uh, meaning gender equity rights uh, here in Canada. Uh, In terms of the the Sharma case, let me give you a little bit of the important background facts. Uh, So Ms. Sharma is a a young Indigenous woman. She is an intergenerational residential school survivor, and she's a low-income single mother. Uh, She faced homelessness for herself and her young child, and as a result... Uh, agreed to bring cocaine into Canada for her boyfriend. And so Ms. Sharma was caught at the border as she came in uh, with the cocaine. She was charged with importing drugs, uh, and she pleaded guilty to that offence. So she had no criminal record, and she asked the judge to be given a conditional sentence. And a, a conditional sentence is it's kind of like house arrest. You don't have to go to jail, but there's still a lot of conditions on whether or not you can leave your home. Um, But there was a provision in the criminal code that said that the judge could not give a conditional sentence if the person had been convicted of specific types of offences, and importing drugs was one of those. So as a result, Ms. Sharma ended up going to jail for 18 months.
1: Now, I understood that um, the Canadian justice system has been very concerned about the over-representation of Indigenous people in its uh, prisons and jails, particularly women, who I think represent a, you know, a, a huge percentage, uh, a indigenous women, I should say, who represent a really large percentage of, of the people in, in women's prisons. And there was something called the Gladue case, which um, I was under the impression would look at somebody's indigeneity and take that into consideration when they were sentenced. Did this not apply in Ms. Sharma's case?
2: That is a a really good question. And so, yes, it did apply in Ms. Sharma's case. And so the judge had to consider the unique experiences of Indigenous peoples in Canada, like you said. So that means thinking about things like Colonialism, the loss of language, residential schools, and the child welfare system, uh, and that the judge would be required to consider options other than jail. And so in this case, the judge would say, probably, if you asked him, that he did apply these Gladue principles and he did consider Ms. Sharma's indigenous status. But in this case, he couldn't impose a conditional sentence and it wasn't appropriate to do another kind of sentence that didn't impose jail. So just sentence her to probation, for example. So he would say that he considered her Indigenous status, but ultimately had to send her to jail. And that's that's really the problem in this case, is that when you take an option, like a conditional sentence off the table, it means that more people go to jail. And just to the, the point that you made, um, first, um, Danielle, I would say, yeah, at this point, we have... Indigenous women in Canada make up four percent of uh, the, the female population in Canada, and over fifty percent of female um, incarcerated people in federal custody, which is
1: absolutely appalling. It, it's shocking if you if you think about it, and you would you would think that the justice system would be looking at multiple ways to. Um, well, right that wrong is, I mean, obviously people need to pay the penalty if they commit an offense, but there are different ways in which people can pay penalties. Um, when can a court consider a conditional sentence?
2: So there, uh, there are a few conditions that require that are required to be met before a judge can consider this type of sentence. So the sentence, uh, has to be less than two years. So in this case, um, Ms. Sharma, it was 18 months. So that's less than two years. Um, the offense can't have a mandatory minimum sentence. Um, so in this case, importing drugs initially did have a mandatory minimum sentence, but the, the sentencing judge actually said that that was unconstitutional and so struck that down. So that barrier wouldn't apply for Ms. Sharma either. Uh, it, the judge needs to be satisfied that there wouldn't be any threat to the safety of the community if you let the person serve their sentence in the community. And again, here with Ms. Sharma, we have someone with no criminal record. Not, there was no violence involved whatsoever. So there's no community threat. And the judge would need to be satisfied that having the person serve their sentence in their community would be consistent with the sentencing principles in the criminal code. So those are things like Taking into account how blameworthy a person is, how serious the offense was, do we need to say, hey, this conduct is really bad, we need to send a strong message, are we going to look to rehabilitate the person, help them to get reintegrated into society? But the big thing for when you can consider a conditional sentence that was relevant here was that there were a list of different kinds of crimes that were completely barred from getting a criminal sentence. And so that included importing drugs, and I'll talk a bit about how that's actually not the case anymore. That has
1: changed since this decision came out, but at the time, that was the issue. So that was what what kept her uh, in in jail for a year, a year and a half. Uh, yeah, that, as opposed yeah. to
2: getting to serve that conditional sentence
1: at at home or or in, in some other fashion. So this this was decided at, at a lower co- uh, court. Um, how did it get up to the Supreme Court? What what happened to take it to the Supreme Court? So
2: the, the lower court judge found that um, these provisions, the ones that said no conditional sentences for offenses like importing drugs, the judge found that that was constitutional. So Ms. Sharma appealed that decision to the Ontario Court of Appeal. And so the Ontario Court of Appeal heard the case and a majority, so two out of the three judges, actually agreed with Ms. Sharma. And they said, no, you know what? This discriminates against you based on your race. So it violates your equality rights. And they said it also violates your rights to life, liberty and security of the person under the charter. Um, And so that we thought that was a really positive outcome. And the court really understood sort of the impact of colonization of anti-indigenous racism in this country. And it was a really positive decision. Um, the, The Crown then appealed that up to the Supreme Court of Canada. And unfortunately, the majority there, it was a five to four split, we call it, meaning five of the judges agreed on one thing, and the other four agreed on a different thing. And the majority there at the Supreme Court didn't agree with the court of appeal. They agreed with the trial judge and they said, no, you know what? This doesn't violate your rights. This is something that the government's entitled to do. You haven't shown that there's a connection between these provisions and the high rates of incarceration of indigenous women in Canada. So the law stands.
1: Wow. So that would be, uh, using those terms, it would be kind of difficult to, to demonstrate that a law is unfair would it? Would it? You know, if you if you say that, well, if you're importing drugs, it doesn't matter who you are. We can't give you less than what was it? I guess it's less than two years uh, 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 or whatever the, 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 the amount of time is. Yeah. That that then how does a judge take into consideration all of the aspects that you mentioned when you talked about Ms. Sharma's particular case?
2: Exactly. And that, that's what Leif argued and what a lot of the other groups argued in front of the Supreme Court. And, and what we said, too, was that, well, actually, Ms. Sharma herself is a pretty good example about how this law increases how many Indigenous women are in jail. If you look at Ms. Sharma, without this law, there's a really good chance that she wouldn't have gone to jail, that she would have gotten the conditional sentence. And so that's a clear example of the link between the law and what is called like the discriminatory impact, because it makes there be a higher level of indigenous representation in jail
1: that that's yeah I mean so so the Supreme Court split on on this decision. is there any part of the outcome with the supreme Court's decision that that um, you know would benefit people like Ms. Sharma in in the future <laughs> I mean, there's a very strong dissent, um, well, and so
2: those are, <laughs> that's the four judges that came down on a, on a different side. I mean, it is interesting to note um, that since the decision came out, uh, the makeup of the Supreme Court has changed because Justice Moldaver has retired, um, and we have a new judge, um, Justice Abomswin, who is Canada's first Indigenous Supreme Court judge. So if a case like this went up, you would have different people considering it. um, So that that could potentially make a difference. Um, And then outside of the Supreme Court, I would say um, that the one positive thing that's come out of this is that the federal government recently passed a law called Bill C-5, which actually got rid of some of the limits on conditional sentences, including the limit that was at issue in this case. So now if a person is convicted for importing drugs, uh, a judge
1: actually can
2: consider a conditional sentence.
1: It's interesting. I remember, you know, many hundreds of years ago when, when um, I was working with Canadian Civil Liberties, which also intervened uh, in many cases before the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. one, one of the things that, that we learned was, Watch the dissent, you know, the, the, the opinion that doesn't win the day, um, because it might come back in law later on. And I guess this is, this is a, maybe not, what may not be exactly the dissent that came back in Bill C-5, but it sounds as if um, somebody was listening and was concerned about people like Ms. Sharma, who really uh, don't benefit uh, from spending that long in jail, and, and Canada doesn't benefit when somebody like this spends that long in jail, you know, what, one of the, the things that uh, I know goes back and forth like a pendulum is the the whether minimum mandatory sentencing is in favor or isn't in favor. Um, you know, there there are people mm-hmm. who feel that it really does help prevent crime if you um, you know if, if you make sure that that criminals know that they're going to serve you know a long time in prison the one thing that that doesn't take into consideration is most criminals don't think they're going to get caught. So, you know, if, if you do uh, think that they actually know which crimes carry a minimum mandatory sentence and which ones don't, uh, that would be wrong um, because most, most people have no idea which ones have and which ones haven't uh, got a minimum mandatory sentence. And whether you'll be eligible for uh, you know, a, a a conditional sentence isn't going to enter the mind of somebody who doesn't think that they aren't going to be caught for doing what it is they're doing. So, you know, the 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 why of these of these long sentences really isn't fulfilled very well. Mm-hmm. So, what are the next steps that Leaf plans to take uh, following this this decision? Now that you've got. The the Bill C five, which is a definitely a move in the in a in a safer direction, shall we say? What what else is Leaf planning to do around this this issue? That's a great
2: question. Um, so when Bill C five was initially proposed, um, we worked with two other advocacy organizations, uh, the Canadian Association of Elizabeth Fry Societies and the Black Legal Action Center to put together a submission that said, hey, you know what, government, like, this is great. This is a really great first step, um, but there's a lot more that you can do. So we're going to keep pushing for some of the the other things that we included in that submission. So one of those is to get rid of all mandatory minimum sentences. We know that they don't make us safer. We know that they don't deter crime. they, they All they do is contribute to mass incarceration in this country. Um, and so it's time that we moved past those um, and, and we erased those from our criminal code. Um, we'll also, there are still some limits that remain on judges being able to consider conditional sentences. So we're going to continue to to push for changes to that to give judges more discretion or more ability to think about what the, what the appropriate sentence is for the person in front of them. Uh, And we're also going to continue to advocate for the government to implement the calls to justice from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry. There's a long list there of things that the government and that all sorts of governments and and folks outside of government can do to improve our response to violence against Indigenous women and girls um, and to prevent violence against Indigenous women and girls. And so we will continue to advocate for those calls for justice as well.
1: Well, thank you so much, Kat. I really appreciate your coming on uh, Kelly and Company to help us understand this important case and also the important issue around sentencing, which we don't always spend a lot of time thinking about, perhaps ought to. Thanks so much for your help. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day you too that was leaf project director kat owens joining us today to talk about the sharma decision at the supreme court of canada
0: wow what a wonderful conversation to enlighten all of us ladies and gentlemen coming up next as we step aside for a couple of moments we wrap up the show and we'll take a look at what's coming up on the next edition of now with dave brown on ami tv please stick around